No, I've heard the church compared to a lot of different things over my time here. Some have been good, some have been bad, some compare the church to a business, some to a home, and you know, everything in between. But last week, I heard someone compared to the church as a hospital. They said, just as a hospital collects the sick all under one roof, the church collects sinners. They said, you know, a lot of people outside of the hospital are every bit as sick as the ones inside, but the illnesses are either undiagnosed or disguised. But you go to the hospital, you get the care and the support you need. And they said, isn't that similar to the church? They said, because a church isn't filled with people who model or have perfect behavior, but a church is the place where behavior is brought out in the open, faced and dealt with to help people get better or really to live out their salvation in love and in faith. And in my opinion, no better book in the Bible does that better than the letter of James. The letter of James confronts, diagnoses, and deals with areas of misbelief and misbehavior and confronts them and deals with them head on. And I don't know how much time you've spent in the letter of James. Many of you probably are like, well, Luther said he didn't really like the letter of James, so I tend to skip over it. This letter is challenging. At times it's harsh. But all of this is in an effort to move us to embrace and to live the life that we have been given. So friends, let's get our Bibles out. We're going to look at that first part of James chapter 3 today. We're in one of those in-between Sundays. We finished up a sermon series a little bit ago. Next week, we're starting the life group. So today is just, bam, here's James 3 coming at you out of nowhere, which I think is probably really appropriate. Now, if you forgot to bring your Bible, no big deal. Is it best to bring your Bible? Of course, you can put notes in it. You can really get into it. You can circle it. You can write, oh, check out this verse later. But if you didn't, that's okay. The words on the screen are going to come up and they're going to guide us through. Let's start here right at James chapter 3, verse 2. It says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, if that's you, friends, you're perfect in everything you say, feel free to leave at any time. Go grab an early donut. But I think we're starting today with an understanding that we're talking about learning to live the way we've been called to. It's important to note that while maybe the word perfect is there, and we might think that somehow it's supposed to be attainable, we're coming at this not with the thought that we are perfect or that eventually we will be this side of heaven, but rather we confess at the beginning of the service that we all have sinned. Now, there are plenty of verses that talk about this throughout the Bible. Now, you'll notice on this screen right here that we said that 1 John 1, 8 at the beginning. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But that's not the only place that it says that. Romans talks about how we've all sinned. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, 1 Kings, throughout the entire Bible, we know that we stumble. We stumble in many ways. We recognize this. And we confess this. Now, we don't do that as some defeatist or as we're simply kind of like going through the motions or just giving up saying, well, if I'm a sinner, I'm just going to confess it and I don't really have to change anything. Now, friends, we confess and acknowledge that, yes, we are sinners, but we also are forgiven believers living in grace with the will and the hope to try to walk and not stumble, trusting and believing that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to attempt to stumble less. That's that part of sanctification. That means Christ within us, the Spirit given to us, is giving us the power to fight and combat against sin, to work at not stumbling. 
And in our salvation, the Lord gives us the power of the peace of mind, not to be in complete doubt all the time or worried where we stand with God, but realize that He has forgiven us in Jesus Christ, has won the victory for us, and in the end, our Lord will save us despite of being sinners. And because of that, We respond to this, to the belief that we are saved in Jesus no matter what, not out of fear or trying to now earn our salvation, but whether we respond to not stumble out of love for what Christ has done for us. Now, in ancient Greek, that that stumble there implies not a fatal fall, but something that is tripping us up and hindering our spiritual walk. And our text today focuses on a very specific way of working toward less and less stumbling with something that we're going to hear the Apostle James tell us is a very strong deterrent in our spiritual walk. And that would be our tongue, or really, the words that we use, the things we say, the things that come out of us. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12, right? That whole idea about what comes out of us is defiling us. John 15, you're going to be known by the fruit that you bear. We're going to be known by what we do, known by that inner character that we have that is revealed from what we say and do. So the Apostle James is going to call it right like it is, calling us today not to stumble in word, but to live in spiritual maturity. He's going to do something, and he's going to ask us to do something very difficult, to examine ourselves and to take a really strong look at the duplicity of speaking one way and then speaking another. Where do you stumble with your words? Now, I've identified just a few here. This is not the end-all of end-all list, but let's see. We stumble in words about ourselves, right? The things we say about ourselves with our boasting, our exaggeration, our selective reporting, thinking we're better than we are, saying only what we want to say, not all things. We stumble in word about others with our criticism, gossip, slander, cruelty, two-facedness, anger. Also with flattery, insincere words meant to gain favor. What do you think, huh? The text today is very sobering. The text that we're going to look at is meant to challenge us, make us feel uncomfortable. But let us not shy away from examining ourselves, from looking at these things that we have done. But let's hear these words and by grace respond appropriately. James says this in verse 3, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, as if it is self-set on fire by hell. Now, we read that, and perhaps you respond to me like like me, which was like, I'm just never going to say anything ever. I'm just going to stay silent, because when I open my mouth, more often than not, I get in trouble. Just ask anybody who spent any time with me. 
Look at that guy, rose his hand in the back, nodding yes, thank you. Now, friends, I'm not a sailor or a gymnast, but I know that you don't solve the problem of an unruly horse by keeping it in the barn or hard-to-steer boat by just keeping it in the dock. So not speaking isn't probably the right answer here, even though that would probably be easier. A small bit in the mouth controls a strong horse. A small rudder turns a large and powerful ship. The bit and the rudder are small, but they're extremely important. If they're not controlled, the entire horse or the entire ship is out of control. And to understand the metaphor, it's saying the tongue is like that bit in the mouth. It's the rudder on the ship. So here's my question to you. Who or what holds the reins? Who or what directs the rudder that is your tongue? Some people have no hand on the reins or the rudder. We just say whatever comes to our mind. Others are directed by their emotions. They say whatever they're feeling right at that time, or perhaps even they just are this way. They can't change it. Came across this story. It starts with the mom yelling, what is wrong with you? That's not how I raised you. I raised you to use your brain. That was her reaction when her daughter came to her for help after hurting herself in the wrong effort to feel relief from symptoms she was experiencing. Now, that might be the urge of a scared parent in the situation to react in anger, screaming and personalizing the daughter's actions. And of course, the pressing concern is the daughter's health and safety. And while it was positive that she came to her mom, the child later responded with, I'll remember not to come to you next time. In the interview, the mom said that was her personality. She doesn't hold things back. She speaks exactly how she feels, even when it's harsh, because that's how she got to where she was. Friends, that action was not helpful. The vulnerable child in that moment was not ready to hear a harsh critique and made that child then hesitate to tell the next time she felt unsafe. The mom justified her response by saying it was just a common reaction, an unchangeable piece of who she was. Like a child that says, well, I just talk back to my parents, that's who I am. Or to the spouse that says, it's okay, I always speak that way about them, I'm just kind of whiny, I'm always on them. Or the person that says, you know what, I fall in love with who I fall in love with, I don't care what they do, I just can't help it. So many of us stumble thinking that this pattern that we've been doing our whole lives, this wrong way of responding and acting is just who we are and how we're always going to be, especially when it comes to what we speak and say to one another. Who holds the reins? What's directing and steering the rudder for you? Animals and ships controlled by small objects. Huge forest destroyed by tiny sparks. The text makes it clear the tongue can either be controlled or the tongue can destroy. You go back to the list of criticism, of gossip, of slander, of anger, of sarcasm. It's not at all surprising or shocking that the fire of the tongue has been used to burn so many. What's the lie? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The words that we speak to one another can hurt us for a lifetime. 
way long after a broken bone is healed from an accident. I mentioned sarcasm. You know where that word comes from in the Greek, right? Sarcaso, to rip flesh, to tear the flesh. What others say to us and what we say to others lasts a long time. And when we just let the tongue run free, when we give in to that impulse or respond just because that's just who we are, our words can do great damage. Yet the opposite can be true as well, right? The well-timed encouragement, the well-timed compliment and can inspire someone. Your bit, your rudder, all the fire can also do a tremendous good when used properly. Proverbs talks about the tongue being the worst thing, but look what it also says. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. Anxiety in the heart of someone causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Isn't it just like God to use something so small in such a powerful way? Isn't it just like God to take a tiny baby born giving hope to the world, to take a splash of water and a promise to give new life, to take bread and wine to give forgiveness and strength, to take a tiny flame on top of a head and let the whole world be changed? We may think of something small in terms of its size, but more often than not, it's the small things that make big things happen. James is calling us to not let that rudder or the bit run free. He's not even asking us as human beings to control them. He would have us look to someone much bigger be in control. He would have the Spirit of God direct your rudder, the bit that is your tongue. Look what he says. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, they're tamed and have been tamed. But no one, no human being can tame the tongue. No human can tame the tongue. James says, surrender control over your words and seek instead to put to death this restless evil that is our tongue. Give it to the Lord Jesus, he says. Jesus, who is the word made flesh, who came down to speak to us a certain way with mercy, grace, healing, and life. I love that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The word made flesh came down to free us from the pain, from the death that we have brought on ourselves and done to others through our words. He breathes life into us through his word. Friends, if you don't have scripture verses that you are reading constantly over yourself, the words of God spoken to you, I don't know how you're making it right now. And if you are not taking those truths, those truths from the very mouth of God to tell you who you are and sharing it with others to support them and to lift them up, then what are you using your tongue for? The tongue is a gift by His grace and through His Spirit that He has given each of us that can be used to speak words of life to one another. It can be used like He does to us in here, right here, when He speaks the truth to you. It's not an accident that we come here and sing praises to Him. That despite the failures that we make, make he, we know He remains faithful to us. Despite the fact that He doesn't answer every single thing that we want right when we want it on our own time, we still come here and give praise to Him. 
because we know that He is greater. No one can tame the tongue. With man, this is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Now, it's going to take practice to respond differently in the moment than what we've done before. If you're like me, you typically speak to people without thinking twice. Filtering our words is their responsibility, not our own. But no longer. James would have us think about what we say. James would say, whatever it is you're going to say, you've got to mean it. Let your words be seasoned with the love of Jesus. Can you imagine what it would look like to only speak words of encouragement, healing, and truth? Can you imagine how you would have turned out if you take those words right now, the ones that you hear right now of people holding you back and chopping you down, and they could have been done away with and then spoken instead as words of healing and encouragement? Imagine if you could do that for the one sitting next to you. And I know it's scary to explore a new way of, of speaking, handling something. And you may sit here thinking, it is impossible for me to change. I've tried to. I can't do it. Friends, the spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Those aren't just words in a Cracker Jack box or wherever you find words that don't... Fortune cookie, that's what I was looking for. This is truth. We don't need to be afraid because God didn't give us a spirit of fear. We didn't baptize Anthony into a spirit of fear, but into a God who loves. We can let go of the old ways of who we were, and we can embrace this power of love and self-discipline because God has given it to us. We can confess our brokenness. We can surrender control and pray for the strength to change. Pray for the strength to change. Friends, I think that's the key. There's this story in Matthew in which a man who has a child and has been uh, possessed by demons since like he was little goes to the disciples, but the disciples can't heal him. So he goes to Jesus and says, if you can help him, if you can do something, please do it. Jesus looks at him and stops and says, if, if I can, the man says, you can, I believe, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus heals the child right then and there. The disciples come and say, why couldn't we do this? He responds, this kind can only come out by prayer. You want to control your tongue? This kind of demon can only come out by prayer. See, the disciples had taken for granted the power that was given to them or had come to believe that maybe somehow it was just inherent in them. And the lack of prayer indicated that they had forgotten that the power over the demonic spirits was from Jesus. That's how faith works, friends. It comes from Jesus. Change comes from the Spirit working in us. It comes from giving up that bit, the rudder, and giving it to the Lord. It doesn't happen on our own. and doesn't happen with sweeping declarations, vowing change. It comes from trusting God to bring the change that you have asked for. What can stand against the power of God? So let us seek first the way of speaking that praises God. 
Let us seek first a way of speaking blessing over the people in our lives. Let's start with prayer. I'm going to bring the band up just now. Because just when you think, man, okay, I can't take any more, James hits you with this final lesson about duplicity. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. This shouldn't be. Fresh water, salt water, they don't flow from the same spring. Fig trees don't bear olives, grapevines don't bear figs. You can call it a fig tree, but when it's an olive tree, it's not going to make a difference. You can trim it up to make it look like a fig tree, but when it's an olive tree, it's not going to make a difference. You can pretend it's a fig tree, but when it's an olive tree, it's not going to make a difference. You can surround it with other fig trees, but when it's an olive tree, it's still an olive tree. Who controls the rudder? Who controls the bit, the tongue? We are children of God. Not by choice, but by the action that He does for each one of us. Let's hold to that. Let's cling to that. Let us walk and speak the truth. Let us walk and speak in love. Let us walk and speak in hope reminding ourselves of the truth that he has spoken over us. For his words define us. His words define us in regard to salvation. His act defines us in regard to salvation. His gift to you, spoken over you at your baptism, is what you receive. Because it's his mercy that wins. His death that brings healing. His resurrection that brings you everything. Right here, right now decide that what our Lord has done for us is what's going to have the final say over us. Pray. Ask for God to use you as His vessel. Giving thanks in all circumstances. Speaking love in all circumstances. James 4 ends this way. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you come near to God, he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, purify your hearts. What a difference your community, your life, your family will be when the words and praises of Jesus Christ are what is heard and what is remembered and spoken. That is the truth. That is the hope that you are looking for. That the word made flesh dwells within you and invites you to participate in his restorative work. Let's pray and then sing. You ready? I'm ready.